0: The time is now. Volume 6, episode 117. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, your host of the podcast and vice chair of the Labor and Employment Department here at Cozen O'Connor. You can't watch the news or read the paper without learning about new acts of violence, new threats of violence popping up around the country employers really can't just sit back anymore and say well it'll never happen to us this isn't really an issue that we need to put on the front burner organizations big small public facing private this is an issue that all of you need to be thinking about if you haven't already and i've got a really special guest coming on the podcast today to talk about this really important issue Dan Pascal is the Executive Vice President of Margolis Healy & Associates, which not only is a Cozen O'Connor affiliated company, but it is a professional services firm specializing in safety, security, emergency preparedness, and regulatory compliance for workplaces across many industries. I think this is something you really need to be hearing. Dan, it's uh, always good to see you and hear from you. Um, I think it has been almost a year to the date, maybe a little bit more since you last came onto the podcast. So I really appreciate you hopping on for a few minutes again.
1: Great. Thanks, Mike. Uh,
0: so first, before we get into all kinds of um, you know, serious topics and everything, tell us a little bit about the nature of Margolis Healy's business and your practice in particular.
1: Absolutely. So at Margolis Healy, or MHA as we're known, we're a full-service security consulting firm made up of a diverse group of individuals spread out across the country. We have local, state, federal, campus police experience, security professionals, emergency managers, and we serve a number of industries and a lot of high-profile clients ranging from Fortune 100 companies to higher ed, K-12, healthcare, utilities, Sort of, you name it. And in addition to my role in the day-to-day management of the firm, I continue to oversee our security and emergency management practice area, where we help clients with a large variety of issues, uh, ranging from assessing and developing site-specific security plans, you know, controlling access to your facilities, visitor management, uh, equipment, those sorts of things, to reviewing emergency response and communication plans, business continuity, and of course, workplace violence, particularly. Active threat and active assailant plans, and we provide training to the same. So we're we're pretty busy.
0: Yeah, I I would expect you would be. Let's let's dive right into it. You know, the last two weeks, and uh, that's oversimplifying things, but the last two weeks uh, have just been, you know, really heart wrenching uh, in this particular area. It's it's so timely, and, and I appreciate you so much coming on. Uh, for this episode. It it is hard to miss and at the same time actually really hard to watch the recent news stories uh, about violence in various settings. Just the past two weeks alone, we've seen it in the school and educational setting. We've seen it again uh, in the corporate setting as well. You know, This is not about gun control and politics. Uh, That's not where I'm looking to go with this episode. So regardless of what side of the gun control argument you are on, it definitely seems at least that there has been a significant rise in workplace violence over the past few years. Uh, what kind of impact has all of this had on your practice and the types of calls you're getting from clients or potential clients?
1: And yeah, Mike, sadly, you couldn't be more correct, right? In fact, if you looked at the Council on Criminal Justice Statistics You know, just in 2020 alone, the homicide rate in this country rose over 25 percent, another 5 percent last year. So that's 30 percent more in the country over the last two years. And when we look across all sectors um, in major cities like Los Angeles, New York, Philadelphia, D.C., we're seeing violent crime. And that's not just death rates, but all violent crime as high as 40 percent higher in 2022 in this first half. So. Uh, a lot of our calls now are really how do we secure our workplace? You know, what's the right balance of controlling access, letting visitors in? How do we have the ability to respond to these types of situations while also making our employees and our customers not only feel safe, but be as safe as possible? And, and then the second is, what type of training is appropriate or necessary for employees? You know, and this, of course, varies widely based on industry and location, number of employees, some, some other issues we may discuss later on. But finally, the big one for me has been business continuity. You know, if, if the teaser of a pandemic of H1N1 in 2009 didn't get people thinking that the mega pandemic, and I, I stole that from a, a recent trial I was watching, um, of COVID certainly has, right? We're, we're trying to help those who were behind to catch up and save their business and others were trying to help build resiliency to withstand the next big thing, whatever that might be.
0: And, you know, you mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic, and as I say all the time, what podcast episode these days is not mentioning at least the COVID-19 pandemic in some form. The pandemic has changed a lot of things, including the number of people who work remotely. Uh, I want to talk about some of the issues in your space that are created by this new remote work context, but there are still plenty of brick-and-mortar workplaces out there. So for the in-house counsel or the C-suite executive or the business owner listening to us right now, you mentioned this notion of how do we secure our workplace? And I imagine there are multiple steps to that. What is the very first step that their organization should take if they haven't already?
1: Yeah, so I'm going I'm gonna... to. Answer this in a really particular way for a reason that we'll, we'll circle back to, I think. And that is, um, you know, the first to start with situational awareness. You know, when you think about your company, your structure, it's who we are. You know, what is our core function? What are the things that, if we lose them or we're without them, even for a brief period, cause severe consequences or worse? Fatal consequences to our business. So that's your work itself, how your company must continue to provide services, goods. And once you identify those things, right, the people, the other dependencies you have, you begin prioritizing the enterprise security plan. And Don't let uh, enterprise security scare anyone who may be listening. Even in a small business, a family ice cream stand, there are at least a dozen mission-critical dependencies. It really affects everyone, no matter how large or small you are. So, however, for our business leaders, the C-suite folks that I'm working with now, they're asking questions, which I find to be one of the most common traits in CEOs and leaders and entrepreneurs. They're asking me questions, not telling me. They're asking What are we not doing today that we should be doing? What are the reasonable messaging that we should be giving to our employees, our customers, our clients, the shareholders? What does it look like in the next year, the next five years? And do I need to invest in people, technology, space, or where do we move right with this remote hybrid workforce that I have? And and what I'm telling them, Mike, and I know you and I have shared uh, this before, I've shared it with you, as I give out my home generator example to people, mm-hmm. where you make investments in what are your priorities, even if it's that one-time extraordinary event that you're investing in. Basically, if you need that home generator, but you keep prioritizing your family vacation every year, rather than putting out the 5,000 bucks to put it in for your house, You might be the person that's sitting outside in the front porch with a damp rag when you lose power for two days and you'll wish you had made that investment. I don't want that to be our corporate leaders.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, it sounds like the very first step, it may be obvious, but it's about having some discussions and evaluating the nature of the particular business and what risks may be unique to the organization.
1: Absolutely. You have to know your business in and out in a way that you're not familiar with today. We know the service we provide. We know the bottom line. We know what we're trying to, to ultimately achieve from a business perspective. But You have to understand the DNA that goes into that to start thinking about where you need to be from a security perspective.
0: And certainly just getting past that notion of, well, this is not really a priority for me or my organization uh, workplace violence, workplace threats, that's never going to happen to us. Just getting past that sort of mentality uh, is is getting far.
1: It, it, it really is. I mean, I think we can just be very honest about it in today's world. If you have not put certain plans in place already, if you have not started the, the planning process, exercising, drilling, reaching out, having mutual aid relationships with local partners, first responders and others, you are behind the curve.
0: And so, you know, part of this also is you, you, you don't know what you don't know, and it's almost overwhelming when you talk to an executive or a business owner and start talking about, well, we've got a plan, we've got to create plans and do X, Y, and Z. You know, let's whittle this down from the first step. Once we've had these discussions, once we're starting to evaluate some of the risks and some of the unique aspects of this particular business... I've heard you talk about workplace safety plans. What is a workplace safety plan and what are the primary components of that?
1: Yeah, great question. And I, and I wish I could say that it was a, a nice handy five page you know, document that someone types up for you and it works. You send it out to your employees and you'll be all, all good. It's not. It's when we get into the particulars of our business. There is an ecosystem that's really around safety and security in the workplace and in our extended workplaces. And it starts with things like our physical security plan. You know, as I mentioned, if we're brick and mortar, it's how we're controlling access. It's how we control visitors. It's do we have cameras, alarm systems, security staff, greeters? Do we need those things? So you need to do that assessment individually by facility that you have. It's looking at emergencies, right? Things like fire. We're all familiar with fires, right? But do we have a plan for fire, severe weather, power outage, the active assailant? Do we provide de escalation training, disengagement training for our employees to either deal with each other from a traditional workplace violence employee on employee situation or dealing with our customers with escalating behaviors? It's understanding your cyber policies, right? Your phishing attempts, social engineering, ransomware, protecting your IP, uh, and then having a disaster recovery plan because we are now 95% dependent on technology. And when we lose those services, many of us are finding that we're losing our ability to provide key services. So it's looking at this ecosystem, which all leads to our employees' emotional safety, and we all know that leads to better job performance, better job functions, right? So it's incumbent on our leadership to look at all of these factors and create this environment so that our employees can be successful the way we need them to be.
0: This may depend on the size of the organization, certainly, but should businesses create a designated team or a designated individual who's going to be responsible as a contact person to deal with these sort of violence and threat safety issues?
1: yes and and so i would say that you know when we think about having individuals who are going to be there and what they're going to do um, and how they're ultimately going to respond you need to know who that's going to be right you need to have safety plans they're going to differ by industry but they have to be um let's say that they're with few this i would say who that's going to be in your organization is going to change substantially, right? By by industry, but securing your spaces, you know, understanding who is going to be uh, ultimately in charge is really important.
0: And I was going to ask you that next. Uh, do, do safety plans do differ by industry, whether you're a public facing retail uh, branch or you're a more private accounting office, uh, as well as by the number of employees that you may have? I mean, that's going to determine what kind of, workplace safety plan would be appropriate for you, I imagine.
1: It it really does. I'll tell you, you know, plans that are largely exclusionary. So we have an office, few visitors, very few clients. uh, They have a lot of advantages, right? Securing a space is much easier than, say, a retail store, where our goal is to invite any and all future customers in and interact with them and create a positive experience. And while there's a big difference uh, between, An Apple store and Disney World, for example, they're both selling an experience and depend on foot traffic. So how we manage that experience and then deal with potential um, violent situations, much different than an industry where we just want to let our employees in, control access to that building, keep the bad folks out.
0: And so that goes back to what you were saying before. You first need to really analyze what are the risks unique to your ecosystem of your organization, uh, before you can even start to think about, all right, these are the likely or the possible threats based on that ecosystem. Absolutely. And where would you say you're seeing the biggest source of workplace threats and violence at, at the moment? Violence coming from within, in other words, coworker to coworker, or violence from some external source. Maybe it's random, maybe it's domestic violence incidents that's spilling into the workplace. What are you seeing these days?
1: Yeah, our our biggest threats really tend to be our employees or former employees, right? And while we've seen some recent events like Uvalde, which was a little bit unique in a rampage case where someone unaffiliated came to the school and made entry, or even last night, if you look at the unfortunate circumstances at the St. Francis Health Center in Oklahoma, which was targeted violence against caregivers, which as anyone who's on this um, or listening to this podcast, who's from the healthcare industry, knows the risks that they face every day, and the, st- the staggering numbers of workplace violence issues there, we continue to see our employees and those familiar with our workplace be the the largest group responsible. However, um, you know, like I said, the folks that are out in the field are utilities workers, collectors, bill collectors, the folks that are coming to shut off your power one day for non-payment. These folks have been dealing with for a long time and they see it escalating along with all of the others in many industries.
0: So somebody is uh, deciding, hey, I think our organization needs to start thinking about this stuff. Let me let me put in a call to uh, to Dan. Um, What are some other considerations that you're telling employers uh, that they should be thinking about for their brick and mortar locations in particular? What are the things they should be thinking about? What are the things that they should be assessing uh, in the first couple of steps here?
1: Yeah. So the first, especially in the brick and mortar um, facilities that we still have is access, right? How do you control access to your facilities, right? And then limit the amount of control points. You probably heard a lot on the news this week, uh, some pundits some people I, I may or may not be correct, not my field, saying, well, we should have one point of entry into a building. There is a theory behind that, that can work. However, I would argue that getting 2000 employees into a manufacturing site through a single point of entry within a 15 minute start time is an impossibility, right? So there are some considerations to think about, but controlling access into your space is always going to be important. And then what are your visitor management policies? Do folks have to come? Do you have to sign in? Are they vetted? Is there a host meets guest policy? Meaning once I allow someone in, even if I vetted them, do I then say, hey, go ahead and stroll through my entire facility and building an office space and go wherever you want to go? Um, or does somebody have to come down and claim responsibility for them? And then office design. The design and layout of offices and buildings, again, whether you are using cubicles, office space, retail floor space, manufacturing, can really be done in a way that is safety and security smart. Most of us don't put that into the design phase, but where we put our exits, how we position desks within an office to be able to get out and get egress from an office, all of those contribute to a a safer location. And, And finally, I would say that, you know, the idea of threat assessment right having a policy a plan a team in your organization it's no longer simply well contact hr right because someone is habitually late or you know they're a bit unkempt lately uh, which is getting harder and harder to track by the way as you know with remote and hybrid work yep. but we need employees our employers You know, to back up the language they have, evaluate each one of these cases of an individual, and then look at the set of facts individually, thoroughly, and take decisive action when we have these employees um, who may be distributing, you know, displaying behavior that's inappropriate or violates policy, need to act. So have those good control measures in place on your brick and mortar, then have the right policy and take the action that your policy states.
0: And so, you know, moving away from the brick and mortar uh, physical locations a little bit, we've started to touch on remote work and hybrid schedules. It's hard enough to contain or address violence and threats of violence within the four walls of an office. But now employees are all over the map, literally. Uh, (laughs) Some working full time at home, some going in and out of the office more uh, irregularly. What are some of the implications of remote or hybrid work on safety and security issues? And what new challenges uh, are employers facing there that they need to be thinking about?
1: Yeah, another great question that we continue to, to I say, address, but I'll, I'll say in the industry, we're all struggling with, too. I'll be honest about it. Um, to start, uh, one of the things we see is we tend to lose the personal connection, the personal contact to see some of the behavioral changes or potential warning signs that we might have seen in an office, right? Um, it's true that folks have video meetings. And, and like you, I'm on Zoom three quarters of my day if I'm not on site, uh, right? And we have supervisor check-ins and those sorts of things. But, you know, you, you, you put a comb through your hair and a collar on your your shirt. And that doesn't necessarily represent what's going on in your life. That's what we want people to see on on video, right? We're essentially an Instagram model posing for our coworkers. We lose that water cooler conversation and the obvious cues. And it's also can be difficult to be familiar with your facilities, policies, and even co-workers when we have these remote hybrid situations. We tend to recall people back once in a while. I, I, sh- I think I've shared with you where my wife works, won't mention them, but she had to go back for the first time in two years for one day, right? That's she bad. almost can't remember what to do. They have new protocols everywhere, where to go, how to get out. She doesn't know, right? So she came home, she said, I, I hope I don't have to do that for another two years, right? So Are we still educating our employees? How do we keep up with them? And as the dynamics change, offices change, what's going on? And finally, um, you know, Mike, I I think we probably could talk about this all day and and longer than your podcast is training. Training is very difficult. We have so many different people, so many different locations and needs that, you know, we used to train folks in a fire drill. Hey, here's where you evacuate. You go over here to the park or the church, that sort of thing. And, you know, check in with Mary. She's holding the clipboard. Everything will be great, right? That's a totally different environment than we have now, um, right? So whether or not you're going to drill in an office space, but if you're at home, how do people know what keeps them safe? So what type of training do you give? It's It's really a changing game and it's evolving daily. So you have to stay on top of these things.
0: That's another great segue. I mean, when when employment lawyers talk about training uh, and training of employees and managers, it's most often we're talking about discrimination, harassment, retaliation and similar kinds of issues, Um, as you just said, and I, I knew you would that organizations should be thinking about conducting training on safety and security issues. What does that look like? Who who should organizations be training on these workplace violence issues? And what does that kind of training actually look like? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. They should be doing it. And But to your point, what it is and who needs it will largely be specific based on industry. However, I think there are certain training that we can uh, pull out that we know from our data that tells us all employees should have it. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, doesn't matter if you're remote, doesn't matter if you're going to be in brick and mortar, right? You know, and one is always having situational awareness. So it's teaching our employees that they're in the office, coming in the office, leaving the office or working from home to have that presence of what's going on around them, to identify potential threats that are before them. And then ultimately, you know, what we're going to do about it, what action can they take if they're dealing with a specific sort of threat? The next one is the de-escalation and disengagement. You know, that is teaching folks how to lower the temperature, right? And, and be it on Zoom or be it in person with a coworker, customer, vendor, or random stranger on the street, these are portable skills, by the way, is how do we take a potentially heightened situation, we read the verbal or physical cues that people are letting off that they are frustrated, they're angry, they're potentially dangerous, and then lower that temperature down and get us to a position where we can be safe, non-confrontational, and avoid that potentially violent situation. And then last, knowing who to contact not only during an emergency, but before, right? So who is it in my organization? Again, I talked about, it's not just HR anymore, right? It's not just, well, call somebody in human resources and they'll deal with it. Yeah, I'm sure they will, but we have to have opportunities for our employees, whether again, they're remote or on site and who they can call and how they will get a response in a timely manner. You know, we can't send it in Friday at two and the HR manager is away today. So no one will talk about the threat that their employee or coworker is presenting until Wednesday when they return. That's not an acceptable answer.
0: You know, again, without wanting to uh, overly complicate and overwhelm the issues, this is clearly so much more than just do we need to have a security guard at our front door or do we need a couple of cameras in the parking lot right
1: i i i couldn't agree more um you know these things are are complex in nature and the velocity and speed of information now right from the internet from social media from apps just like me, I'm sure as soon as, you know, yesterday's tragic events occurred, you got four updates on your iPhone, right, that said to you, hey, there's been a crisis, a mass shooting in Oklahoma, these sorts of things. So our employees are seeing this, they're well aware of it, they know what's occurring. So the idea that, you know, we we have to present this image of we are safe, you're not safe, how we communicate it, I think, is really important. And I think our employers, should reassure their employees um, that they're committed, you know, to their safety by identifying on the ongoing efforts that the employers are putting out. If you're doing something, make sure you talk about it. Um, It demonstrates your commitment rather than just saying we're going to do something and talking about what resources are available, whether it's training, for an example, we're reinforcing that we have a culture of safety in our company. I think those are very, very important steps for our employers to take and be transparent about them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because while obviously it's so important to make sure your employees are safe, um, having them feel safe is just as if not even more important. Um, And so much of this is the optics and the messaging. I mean, what kind of communications should companies be thinking about when we're talking about crisis communications after the fact or uh, preventative transparency, as you've referred to it? What what kinds of communications are, are, are companies doing these days?
1: Yeah. You know, interesting. I just segue just a quick second there, Mike, into what we call security theater, something that we often see either by companies or schools or others when they're facing a crisis or there's been one in the industry. Security theater can sometimes be a bad trade-off because of dollars, right? These are sometimes palliative measures, though, that makes folks feel comfortable, feel safe. The reality is you can feel safe, in actuality, not be safe, right? Or you can, in actuality, be safe, but feel unsafe. This is largely go out in public, right? If you walk through a college campus, you'll probably see a 100 blue light phones. They're there because they make people feel safe. The statistics show they're very, very rarely used, if at all, in an emergency situation. But yet we're still putting them up on campuses. If you go to the mall, you may see hundreds of security cameras that no one is watching. Right? These are post incident cameras. Like something that's
0: that's very disconcerting.
1: Well, it's the truth. Um, We talk to a lot of our clients, use words like surveillance, security surveillance. No one is watching, right? Creating that expectation of care someone is watching. Perhaps I'll throw my hand up and you'll come help. Largely, no one is watching. Right. So these are palliative measures. They make people feel secure in many ways. So when we communicate out to our our folks of what we're doing, I always recommend we communicate the things that we're doing that demonstrate our commitment to safety. Putting a security officer out front for three days is a palliative measure, right? Maybe it's in response. There was a shooting. There was something that happened close to us or in our industry. So we do those things. I'm not necessarily saying don't do them either, right? Sometimes you need to reassure your community, your employees in a different way, but they aren't always effective when it comes to good, solid crisis communication. And I'm not necessarily talking about brand recognition, right? Because we've, you know, our, our particular food uh, was on recall this week. I'm talking about something has gone on where your employees are concerned about violence, can't be more important to actually understand who is going to do the representation and communication. That may not be the CEO. It may be someone else. If you're in a large organization, it may be your public information officer, right, that we use in the government a lot. When, how you'll communicate and have a written plan that outlines exactly what you're going to do and. Exercise that. Mike, I tell you so many folks in corporate communications, they come from wherever they come from, their background, and they're very confident in their ability to speak and say the right thing. But you have to exercise your plan. Go through mock scenarios of different types of events that affect your workplace. Because remember, within 15, 30, 45 minutes, an hour, you're going to get called in from the golf course and have to get on camera and give a statement or give it to your CEO to say it's a different reaction when it happens. So I really encourage our communications folks, drill it, practice it, go through it, just like you see police practicing for an emergency.
0: You're getting more calls after an incident takes place. Oh, Oh, my, this just happened. What do we do now as opposed to the planning and preventative kind of calls? Or is it sort of even?
1: Yeah. Uh, you're hurting my heart. Um, unfortunately. <laughs> Frankly, folks are largely reactive in this industry. Right. Um, That's just the way it goes. Again, the 24 hour news cycle drives a lot of our calls because people are watching TV, they're watching the Internet, they're seeing what's happened. But it's largely um, recently our calls are coming in from general counsel. Um, It's H.R., Um, It's risk management. Uh, Folks are now obviously engaged in enterprise risk management, uh, largely in corporate America. We're still on a little bit different in the government and private sectors, but largely in corporate America, we use enterprise risk management. So we're evaluating all the things that affect our business or may have impact in the future. So risk managers are giving us calls now. And in some cases, um, and I don't want to scare anybody. um, In some cases, we're getting calls from union leadership who are asking what should my employer be doing or unions want to engage and ask uh, how do we put plans in place. And there's a lot behind that. But um, it's interesting that uh, we've gotten calls from a few folks um, who have now said, my employer is not doing what I think they should and we need to understand the best practice. That to me is is a red flag for us to be concerned about.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Once you start getting concerns raised by employees uh, or their, you know, union representatives or otherwise, um, it's not a particularly good sign for the company that they're either, in fact, doing uh, all they need to be doing, or at least from a messaging standpoint, not making the employees feel safe.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So um, I really appreciate uh, the time that you spent. You've given uh, a lot of great food for thought, as always what kind of takeaways uh, can we leave the listeners here? What should they be thinking about now? You know, for those who were not completely scared off and and left the episode, who are still listening now, uh, as we're wrapping up uh, and they're, they're taking notes, what things should they bring back to their organization in terms of what should I do right now? What should I recommend our company be doing right now?
1: Yeah, I'll leave you with these, right? First, have plans true plans. If you don't have them, go back and say, I need to do it. Is there someone in my organization who can take this effort today and start it? If you don't have it, call somebody from the outside who can help you, right? Communicate with your employees, particularly when we see the all the events that are going, the escalating violence in the country, again reassure them the the steps that you are taking, the definitive things that you're committed to, and that you will continue to do. Whether that's having security staff, you know, reinforcing your visitor management and why folks are using access cards, doing a training and exercise, those sorts of things, and test your plan. I don't care if you're a small company or you're a large company, you have to put yourselves in the same position of doing tabletop exercises and notional play that you would for any other scenario that affects your business because you will likely respond as you train muscle memory is a real thing and it's in all of our industries so we want you to do that make improvements once you identify them make the investments where you need as i said you don't want to be the only one sweating on the front porch with a cold rag when the power goes out this summer, right? So your generator is investing in yourself and your employees and your security plan. I really, uh, I would encourage everyone who's listening, take this back. If you're a CEO, your general counsel to your employer and say, what are we doing about this? And get the answers that you
0: need. And the challenge is really also a lot of this is outside the control of the employer you know i mean much of what you've talked about if not everything you've talked about are things that the employers can do things that they should be doing but take for example um you know here in new york city where i am and it's uh it's not breaking news to say that there's been a lot of concern about recent uptick in crime uh, within new york city and what's going on in the subway system and all of that that really feeds into the comfort level that employees have when they are commuting back and forth to work. So it may not just be as simple as, well, what kind of changes can we make to my workplace? What kind of things can the employer reassure me about? Uh, A lot of this workplace or a lot of this violence and threats of violence is coming from these external thoughts uh, and issues that uh, are outside the control of employers, but really do impact the employee's sense of security.
1: Uh, again, right on, right spot on with that. And I'll tell you one of the things that I, I think is really beneficial is even in our own firm, um, you know, we created short modules for all of our employees, which is nearly 3000 individuals, right? That focus not only on our office security, but the to and from work, right? Which includes either parking lots, subways um, and, and buses and using Uber and traveling, right? A lot of folks travel for work. So either traveling domestically or traveling abroad and put together really what I think were comprehensive, short, very digestible, um, not only videos and PowerPoints to say, hey, go on and learn about this. Again, just reinforcing the commitment to things that are within the control of the employer, but also things that are very likely to affect our employees because they're coming to and from work and they're traveling. We know they are. So let's give them the, the information. Let's arm them, if you will, with data.
0: Great stuff. Uh, there's a million reasons why companies should be uh, thinking about this stuff immediately if they haven't already. Dan Pascal, Executive Vice President of Margulis uh can't thank you enough uh, for coming on today and uh, taking a little bit of time.
1: Uh, no, I know. I, I thank you. I really wish uh, everyone here uh, the, the best of luck in what you're doing
0: and keep up the great work. Uh, we're in it together and i appreciate that and i'm sure we will have you back on to get a little bit more wisdom uh in the coming months thanks again dan thank you that was informative it's so unfortunate that we have to even be talking about and thinking about these issues but the reality is we do so i hope This brought you something that you can take back to your organizations. I hope you all continue to stay safe and healthy. And until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.